Good morning, and welcome to HR Examiner's Executive Conversations. I'm your host, John Sumter, and today we're going to be talking with the most interesting person. Martha Bird is the business anthropologist at ADP, uh, and you might go like I do, but well, ADP is a big place. I wonder what an anthropologist does there, and we're about to find out. She's been all over the place. She's a, a sort of a farmer and an artist at heart, um, worked the farms until, until much later than most people start their PhDs, and then ended up getting a PhD in anthropology. And that took her to the early days of eBay, where they were trying to figure out these weird people who wanted to sell stuff on eBay, and she became part of an anthropology team there. And now she's happily ensconced at ADP doing I don't know what, and that's what we're going to find out today. Hi, Martha. Hey, John. Thanks for having me. Good morning to you. Good morning. Um, so, so I assume you're in solitary confinement like everybody else. How's it going? Um, you know, I have to say that um, one of the things that I'm finding as an uh, upside of this is that uh, with with less commuting and and um, you know. Uh, more time to myself, I'm actually able to focus on intention more than I normally would. And I think that's probably what's going on with a lot of people. So I'm well, and, um, you know, I'm, I feel relieved about that. And of course I think about those who are in um, different circumstances than I am. Yeah. It's, 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 it's such an amazing time. The opportunities are extraordinary. If you can get just a little bit of reprieve from the terror. Um, right. Right. So, so, so I gave a loose version of your story. Tell, t- tell me a little bit more about about um, um, how you evolved and what turns you on. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that I think um, you know is interesting is that you know my parents didn't even know what an anthropologist did. Um, you know, this is after I you know graduated and you know moved to Silicon Valley, and so uh, you know I thought to myself, how can I actually um, you know give people an understanding of what a cultural anthropologist is and how they would be useful um, in uh, business settings. And so one way that I look at this is I, I, I basically say, you know, anthropologists are interested in trying to understand um, what people think, what they believe, how they come together in groups, and they, they determine what is going to be normative and what's not normative. And so, you know, when you think about um, – when you think about those broad um, interests, you can imagine um, the uh, usefulness of that when developing um, digital solutions, which is where I've worked mostly in in technology, about how people actually use um, the tools that uh, are being um, designed. And, you know, my main thing has always been about put the user, uh, the human at the center, and and understand what they what they need and look at the gaps in what they currently use and then you know go back and say hey uh we may think that they need this but this is what um i observed as i was watching them go about their um interaction with the things in their life so it's really about um you know for me what has always attracted me is it's always been about looking out of the corner of your eye listening with respect um, and, and, and generally honoring the reality of people who may not have the same reality that you do. 
Mm-hmm. 
when you make it much less physical. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, one of the things that I think um, that anthropologists talk about a lot is that there is really no such thing as, as culture with a capital C. Um, you know, we, we hear a lot about the culture of X or the culture of Y is um, we're, you know, collaborative. We are changing the future. I mean, there's these sort of like mission statements and these, um, uh, you know, these value statements and, and purposes. And those are all really good things. But for, for me, when I look at the so-called organizational culture, I'm, I'm actually more interested in how teams um, function um, you know, within that larger framework, but also how it, within those teams there would be you know, different sort of subcultures. So for me, organizational culture is actually a collection of, of subcultures, and, and that's not a bad thing. Um, and then you can further complicate this or make it, you know, it becomes much more complex when you think about, um, you know, uh, co-located teams, people working in different geographies, um, you know, there's all sorts of difference that makes up, um, up these teams. But I think if each of these subcultures has a very clear understanding of the overarching mission of, a, uh, of an organization, then that becomes, that they become part of the, um, uh, the, the generators or the supporters of, of an overarching, um, you know, a mission statement. But they don't actually, we don't, we can't just simply say, oh, the culture of this, uh, of this company is, you know, a collaboration, um, you know, any of the number of things that you see written on the walls of, of uh, corporate spaces. That has to be a lived experience and an embodied experience um, that that I believe occurs um, at the level of the team. That's inter- that's interesting. I, I, in, a, in a different form, I probably would would want to take you to task on the idea that there's no such thing as an overall culture. But but I, but I'll agree with you that that the nonsense that goes on the billboards around the culture, the the proclaimed values that may not be practiced, aren't culture. They're propaganda or something like that. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, But there is this thing that, that you can, you can see the board level conflict in an organization by studying the reception area. You see it. Exactly. And and so this element of culture um, is like a hologram. It permeates everything. It's not everything, but it is, it is a kind of like a liquid that the fish swim in um, and then you have schools of fish, the little subcultures. But but, but I do mm-hmm. imagine that that there is an yeah. overarching thing. Right. I, you know, I, I I get I get that. And I, and one of the things that I think is super interesting, um, and and perhaps at another time we can explore this is sort of the semiotics um, of of these spaces of these of these so-called uh, cultures because. You know, semiotics is really the study of sign systems, um, and there's been some very interesting work done on understanding an organizational culture by observing and participating in the spaces, the actual physical spaces and arrangement of those cultures. Um, and I think that's uh, I think that's an interesting, um, and it goes to I think your um, your analogy with the water. And the fish, and you know, the, one of the things that is used often to describe anthropology is is sort of the story of of the um, you know the fish who are swimming, 
and and then uh, another a third fish comes along and says, uh, you know, how, how is how's the water? And then the the two other fish look at each other and say, what's water? So (laughs) yeah, it's about being so um, imbued in the medium, um, and uh, and and really that's where I think the anthropologist comes in is to sort of try to unpack these taken for granted, um, you know, the taken for granted water, essentially. Yeah, I think I think we're getting to a point where you can start to measure the water, and that's that's interesting. And I don't Mm -hmm. think I don't think that you measure the water by asking the fish how the water is. But I right. do think that, that that it is no longer difficult to imagine taking an analysis that starts with which functions are resourced in which way and mm-hmm. how long does it take for um, an application for additional resources for a project to be approved, right? Those are, mm-hmm. those are power distribution variables that that tell you exactly because because money and then people are the way that cultural values are actually expressed. Um, mm-hmm. um, uh, you can look at you can look at how that happens and start to understand the fundamental power grid in an organization, mm-hmm. and and you might imagine that. Um, um, culture is an expression that emerges from that power grid um, rather than championed values that you could somehow diagnose because you asked a lot of people some odd questions. Yeah, no, I think that's, I think, I think that's right. I think what happens is, is that we often presume that culture is sort of a, 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 a top down, um, you know, scenario when actually culture actually is created at local levels and is propagated and supported in certain ways. So, you know, I think of often I've thought of this is that, you know, when I want um, to actually um, get something done, who do I go to? Um, you know, it's, it's likely not the C-suite, but it might be um, the admin, right? Because that is a person who is able to um, navigate um, the, the, the systems that are in place. And so, that's about how um, influence and, and power flows. And I think it's, you know, it's multiply directional. It's multiply directional. But I think that, I think that goes to your point. Um, you, can, you can really understand um, a culture by really looking at those different um, um, variables of culture, space, um, how people speak with one another, um, you know, how aligned is their uh, interactions with what is uh, – what is this this culture? So I think about you know you can be in a place where they say our culture is highly collaborative, but you know the managers have their doors closed. Now that is just not you know that's not creating um, a, a holistic sense of what culture is, but it does reveal some things, right? And so those are the kinds of points I think that an anthropologist who's um, thinking about and, and providing perspective on can. Uh, illuminate for you know uh, those who are are you know uh, caretaking for uh, uh, organizational culture. So so the manager with the with the office door closed. That's such a great that's such a great segue to the to the next question, which is um, uh, the role of conflict inside of cultures. I think this is something that you care about a bit. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, in an HR world, 
there's this temptation to believe that what you want to do with the conflict is get rid of it. But getting rid of culture looks a lot like shutting your door when you're a manager. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, um, and, and it's not necessarily the healthiest thing for the organization. So tell me about your view on, on conflict and complication in organizations. Mm-hmm. Well, first of all, I'd I, I, I point out that if your culture is uh, uh, not purporting to be collaborative and managers are closing the door, then you may be aligning right, by, by having that action. But um, one would presume that's not entirely productive. So for me, I think, I think conflict has been given sort of a bad rap. Um, I think of conflict not necessarily as a negative thing. I think of it as something that highlights um, you know, how people are actually I- interacting in a, in a shared um, space. We could also call it complexity because it is, it's about different people coming together. They are operating around what one, you know, one would presume is somewhat a, a set of shared norms. Uh, and within that, you'll have people that are perhaps outside the norms or inside the norms. And then because of the, um, you know, what I was referring to earlier as a subculture, I think, for instance, of, of uh, situations in hospitals where you have nurses and doctors um, and, and other um, staff, and the nurses have their own um, way of doing things. Doctors have their own way of doing things. The um, physical plant people have their own way of doing things. These are departments or subcultures within the larger hospital setting. Now, one would hope that the hospital has a overarching way of doing things. We need to provide the best care. We, we, we provide the best care for our patients. Let's say that's the, that, that's the overarching um, mission statement. And even if the nurses and the doctors and the physical plant people are doing things differently, they speak differently, they wear different uniforms, um, and they have different uh, responsibilities, one would presume and hope that each of them, uh, each of these groups, actually um, is also dedicated to that same goal. So you could have conflict between the nurses and the doctors and the, and the physical plant people, but that's okay as long as as long as there's a sense that everyone is is aspiring to provide the best medical care for for their patients. So, you know, for me, conflict is more of an opportunity to understand, um, you know, to understand where there might be gaps and things need to, um, you know, be, um, you know, be looked at. But it's also, I think, we need to avoid um, this um, sort of go-to idea about smoothing things out, about creating a sense of, like, seamlessness within organizations, because I think that lacks the kind of friction that's required to, um, to, you know, to accept and leverage diversity, um, to, uh, you know, to, to think differently than, you know, than just someone who's like you. I think it just creates a, a much richer um, space for ultimately what would be sort of innovative thinking. So, yeah, I'm a big, um, um, you know, I'm a big fan of, of productive conflict. So, so in a world where work is, sort of hierarchical and centralized, um, I understand exactly how that can play out. But in a world where work is 
distributed and remote, it seems to me that there's a kind of an embedded bias towards passive aggressive behavior when everybody is separate. Um, and um, I wonder if you think that, that the utility of conflict varies based on whether or not the work is distributed or centralized. And, um, and if, Conflict is important, and it's somehow inhibited by being by work being distributed. How do you get it okay for it to be um, in the center of things again? Mm. Well, I mean, first of all, I think um, you know, and and we can take this historical moment that we're now in with all of the challenges that it um, it points to that. You know, being able to see somebody, and, and, and I agree with you, there's a sort of slimming down um, of, of the experience of, of community when you're doing something on uh, a, a video conference. But I do think there's ways of actually connecting with people in, in those mediums. Um, and, I, you know, for me, it's always about can we, can we retrofit something that's not working um, you know, something that may be um, negatively conflictual, can we retrofit and fix that um, in a, in a um, sort of uh, digital medium? And I, I don't think that's the case. I think these things have to, you know, there has to be something in place um, from which to go, go you know, go toward. I, you know, if you, if you left your office, um, you know, two months ago uh, and there was, um, you know, a toxic environment there, you're not going to have your manager, call, you know, calling you on a video conference and, and, and making this, you know, smoothing all of this out. I don't think that's how it works. But I think if you, um, you know, have a, uh, a healthy environment, then I, I you know, then I, then I think that um, there's ways of, you know, uh, there's ways of using the tools that we have available to us to, you know, to, to address them in an intentional um, you know, honest, intentional, and respectful way. So, so, so I don't I, I, see it as been, impossible. It's been a long time since I worked worked in an office. A very long time, but uh, but I remember working in an environment where everybody was uh, part of the same um, agenda. And when you went to get a cup of coffee or go to get some lunch or whatever. Um, you passed by the people who were also involved in the endeavor um, or um, in, in complicated, more distributed versions of it, you managed to have ways to get together um, mm -hmm. um, in order to, to allow people to be in proximity with each other. Um, and so the question is how much, how much does proximity matter? Um, um, and, and do you think that there is a way of understanding what the optimal mix of proximity and distance is for your organization? Mm. Yeah, no, I think that's a great question. And, it, and I, you know, I think of some really um, discreet examples from my own work life. So I'm on a team uh, and an innovation team that has, uh, you know, uh, centers in other geographies, um, particularly um, Brazil and uh, India. And, you know, so we're not, you know, we, we have team, um, team meetings uh, twice a week, at the beginning of the week and at the end of the week. And so, you know, there's, there's updates on what's going on with um, development. 
there's, you know, uh, you know, looking through the, the roadmap and seeing what needs to be done. And so that's a shared group activity, and it happens regardless of this event. I mean, with the people in India and, and Brazil, uh, they're, they're calling in. So, you know, there is a, you know, I, there is a kind of sense that, that we're a te- there is a sense that we're a team, and we know individuals. But to your question, you know, every um, couple of months, there'll be a, a, a group that will come from, you know, Brazil or, or from India and, and be with us in our office um, in the U.S., and you know that adds a you know that adds a really um, wonderful um, dimension. So typically we'll all go to dinner. We'll have a little. This is great that we're we're together. And you know having that additional um, you know approximate um, experience with a person I think is super um, vital. Uh, and you know I think about you know in thinking about your question, I think what's interesting to me is there, there's this hybrid. Obviously, this is sort of a hybrid um, proposal, which is, you know, you can have teams that are working remotely um, and, you know, but but it is nice to actually meet somebody in person. So I don't, you know, everyone has a budget around how they can do that. Um, but in my experience, it's been super um, important that you get to see um, your co-located teammates, um, you know, every, you know, couple times a year. So, so I wonder, what, what are the things that, that's been puzzling me about this new sort of instantly installed remote work is whether or not the supervisor needs to visit workers in their homes. Mm-hmm. And um, in a, you know, in, in the old world where you could get people together by having them all get on airplanes, we may, right. we may not be we may not be doing that for a number of years um, right. and uh, and so and so the question is is it okay for the supervisor to visit the worker at home and what's the protocol for that right because this is this is it's nice to talk about the theory of blending work and and um, regular life but that's that's a crazy thing are you supposed to clean the house when the supervisor comes to visit um, mm-hmm. You know, are the kids allowed to be around? Uh, right. <laughs> all those. All yeah. Those well, I mean, I think. Yeah, I think you. I think you're actually um, thinking like an anthropologist, which is is really trying to raise like a uh, a scenario, and then un- and try to understand how that plays out. So for me, um, my opinion of of a uh, of a supervisor visiting um, someone in their home, like actually a physical visit. Um, Obviously, in, in, in our current moment, I, that wouldn't be a wise um, plan, and I would not be a proponent of that. So, for various reasons, um, but but pre- predominantly for reasons around, um, you know, around keeping keeping, you know, uh, protecting other people and protecting yourself. So, um, so yeah, in that scenario, uh, my my answer is pretty um, straightforward. Um, now, if you know, let's let's think of another scenario. Um, we don't have this historical moment. We don't have the current health challenges that we do. Um, and, you know, people decide we're going to work from home. Um, and it's remote work is going to occur. You know, and I think specifically we need to be, we, be clear about that scenario is really applicable to knowledge, uh, knowledge workers. So let's say that's the, that's the case. Um, then how does that pan out? 
um, you know, I think it's not necessarily about, you know, it's not about the manager going to the person's home, but it's really about what I've just described um, um, earlier, which is about committing to actually getting together as a team, as a group in a shared physical space. So, yeah, I, you know, I, I, you know, I don't have a really elaborate response to about the manager visiting a, a person um, during this time because my opinion of that would be no. Uh, I'm having this hysterical picture of the manager being the one because because it's their job to keep things together, being the one who's required to make the trips, um, mm-hmm. and having having them show up at your door in a hazmat suit. Um, right. <laughs> you know, you know that would yeah. that would that would um, um, sort of put a, a a nice wrinkle in the idea that management is some sort of imperial class, um, uh, because <laughs> so so um, that that's interesting. So so we're we're at the end of our half hour. And there's so much we could have talked about it. What did we mm. miss that, that that would be a good way to go out? Well, I mean, I think for me, there's, there's um, you know, there's this piece around human connection um, that I think is really um, significant. And I think if we um, come away with a, a greater um, visibility as individuals and as groups, that, um, that we are all connected um, as humans, we're biologically connected, we see that through the spread of disease. We're economically connected. We see that through um, working supply chains and those that aren't working particularly well. And we see that culturally through how we're trying to create sociality through our online experiences. So for me, um, I think uh, some mindful reflection on the connect, connection of, of, of humanity is like a, would be a really great learning from that. Thanks. It's been a great conversation. I really appreciate you taking the time to do this, and I hope we get to do it again. Um, well, John, so, I think we've just scratched the surface, so thank you. Yeah, well, well, let's scratch some more. Um, okay. We've been talking with, with Martha Bird, who is ADP's business anthropologist, and um, it's been a delightful conversation. If somebody wanted to get a hold of you, Martha, how would they do that? Uh, I'm uh, available um, on LinkedIn, and that's always a good okay. way to connect with me, uh, Martha Bird, and I will respond. Fantastic. So you've been listening to HR Examiner's Executive Conversations. We've been talking with Martha Bird, and thanks for tuning in. We will see you back here next week. Bye-bye now. Mm-hmm.